morning, everyone. It's uh, great to see you this morning, and if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Ben, I'm the community pastor here, and we are in the middle of a series right now called How We Change. We're looking at how we change, how we grow, how we become transformed, become more like Jesus. In theology, we call this sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus. And in the first week, Adam kicked it off for us by talking about how change is slow work. It's a patient process. Uh, The following week, Stephen talked about how change is heart work. Uh, We need inner transformation for change to really occur in our lives. Last week, I spoke about how change is God's work. It is God's work in you. And this week, we're talking about how change is your work. Change is your work. So last week, change is God's work. This week, change is your work. You see, the truth is, in this process of transformation in the Christian life, it's 100% God's work, and it's 100% your work. I'm 100% responsible, and God is 100% involved in this work. John Piper puts it this way. He says, the mystery of the Christian life is that we are called to serve and toil and struggle and work and pursue and strive for the holiness and the love that God requires. But we are to do all that through Christ who lives in me, by the strength that God supplies with all his energy that he powerfully works within me, by the grace of God that is with me, for it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we saw last week that change is God's work. It's God's work in us. When we put our faith in Jesus, it's like the Holy Spirit comes into our life like a master builder, renovating the home but we're not just like passive buildings we're also involved we're like hard-working farmers we're responsible to 100 responsible to work hard if we're going to see fruit growing in our lives but we're 100 um, dependent on god's spirit to bring the sunshine and the rain that our souls need for that growth changes god's work and changes your work But we didn't really speak much about what's involved in your work last week. Uh, Where do we begin? Do we have a direction that we can travel in this process? Does God give us wisdom? Does God give us tools and means and habits that will be effective in this? Or are we just sort of making this up ourselves and just working really hard? Well, the truth is the Bible has given us so many means and spiritual disciplines to pursue growth and transformation. But some are more emphasized than others. And I want to focus on three of the most fundamental spiritual disciplines that God has given us for transformation. Now, if you're here this morning and you aren't ready to call yourself a follower of Jesus, it is great to have you here. Now, maybe you're not so sure whether you're ready to buy into these spiritual disciplines and these things that the Bible is saying. And if that's you, let me encourage you to think a little bit more. As we go through the series, think a bit more about your philosophy of change. How do you think about change and about growth? We all have a philosophy and ideas about how this works. You know, you might think, well, I've got scientific-based practices that I can implement to change habits, and we've got psychologists and counselors and things like that, and Christians use these things as well. But God doesn't give us spiritual disciplines in the Bible to help us change just a habit or help us beat 
one difficult thing or some sort of addiction. God intends to make us glorious, to make us fully human again, to make us like Jesus. That is the goal of Christian transformation. He wants to do something, not just small, but something incredible in the life of those who follow him. And so let me just encourage you to think about what do you think about change and what are you aiming for? What is the kind of human being you want to become? And is that human being as compelling and glorious as Jesus? Because Jesus is who God wants to make his people into. Jesus was the most kind, humble, strong, gentle, loving, compassionate, selfless human being who has ever lived. And if your vision for a truly human life is not as beautiful and compelling as Jesus, then maybe it's time to join us in the journey. Maybe it's time to follow Jesus with us. Well, with that being said, we're going to take a look at three of the most fundamental spiritual disciplines that God has given us for transformation, to become like Christ. And I can't emphasize this first one enough. It is the discipline of beholding. Beholding. Now, to behold means to look, it means to gaze, it means to admire something or to contemplate something. Now, that sounds pretty ordinary. Transformation by beholding, by looking and admiring something, that doesn't sound very life-changing. But kids, let me tell you, I wish I knew this when I was young. When I was 12, <clears throat> I remember being, uh, attempting to, to live the Christian life by trying hard. I didn't know about this discipline of beholding yet. I, I attempted to, to live the Christian life by merely trying hard, and it was exhausting for me because I was trying to be good for God's acceptance, not from God's acceptance. I was trying to be good for God's love, not because God loved me. And so after a year of trying and trying and trying to be good, I just, sort of, I just gave up and walked away from Jesus. But if I knew this discipline of beholding, this discipline of beholding ensures that the transformation that we are seeking is flowing out from within us, from the heart, from the deepest parts of who we are, from a heart that is full of joy and love. It's not coming from a place of worry and fear about God's acceptance like what I was when I was 12 years old. The truth is beholding is a powerful spiritual discipline. The truth is we become like what we behold. We become like what we behold and cherish and worship. It's more powerful than you might think. I remember when I was a kid, I used to behold this man on the screen, Arnie. <laughs> I uh, admired his brains and his acting ability and just wanted to become, no, not really. I just loved his muscles. He was just uh, an impressive human being, and I, I admired him, I beheld him, and so I wanted to become more like him. I started doing push-ups and sit-ups, and you know, today I am uh, the strongest man in the world, my mom tells me, not really, um, but you know, I actually started to want to become more like this person that I admired and beheld. When we behold something, we start to try, at least in my case, to become like it. But this is actually a theme that runs through the Bible. We become like what we hold. We become like what we worship. And we see it very clearly in places like 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Uh, and here's what it says. It says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate or behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
In the English Standard Version, it says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Paul is saying here, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory. This is our first spiritual discipline for change and growth, beholding. But you might be asking, well, how exactly do we behold? Like, what does this look like? Where do we go to behold God's glory? What do we do? Well, Paul gives us more information a few verses later. In chapter 4, he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see, and here's what I want you to really see, the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So how do we behold the Lord's glory? Where do we go to contemplate and to admire God's glory? Well, Paul says it is the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. He says it's the knowledge of God's glory is displayed in the face of Christ. So to practice the discipline of beholding, we go to the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. We meditate on Jesus and what he has done for us, on the glories of the gospel. We treasure him. And to be honest, there's a million different ways that we can do this. One of the things we can do is just read gospel-centered books. Uh, Some of my most profound experiences of um, just enjoying God more and understanding the gospel more deeply have been by reading good books. I've actually brought a few books. I looked at my bookshelf yesterday and brought a few from home that have really blessed me. And I want to give these to anyone that wants one after the service, feel free to find me. I'll be carrying them around. If you want one, you're welcome to have one of these books that have blessed me and just help me to treasure the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We can read gospel-centered books. We can also pray gospel-shaped prayers. Uh, this book in particular helped me to learn a prayer that I used for a season of my life. And I used to get up in the morning and start the day by saying, thank you, Father, that because I'm in Christ, there is nothing I can do to make you love me more and there is nothing I've done that makes you love me less. I used to just say that every morning for a season of my life, and that was really transformative for me, just to start off in the grace of God, in the love of God. Thank you, Father. In Christ, there is nothing I can do to make you love me more, and there is nothing I've done that makes you love me less. Now, that's a gospel-shaped prayer because it's influenced by the gospel because we know that Jesus has paid for our sin, past, present, and future. There's nothing I've done that could... Make God love me less. And we know that because I'm in Christ now, his righteousness is mine, so there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. I am loved as much as the Father loves Jesus. That's another thing we can do. We can pray gospel-shaped prayers, or we can have gospel statements built into our lives at the beginning or at the end of the day. Uh, We can meditate and behold the glory of the gospel by just participating in the Lord's Supper every month that we do that. On the second Sunday of every month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we see Jesus' death displayed for us. 
and we meditate on it and we treasure it. That's the discipline of beholding. We behold by reading the scriptures with an eye to notice the beauty of Jesus. We behold when we sing gospel-shaped songs and just enjoy Jesus and meditate on who he is. This is the discipline of beholding. As Christians, we don't crowbar ourselves into change. Instead, God melts us into change. This is how God works in us, by letting us taste and see his goodness displayed in Jesus. We become like what we behold. And if we are beholding and enjoying Jesus, then we will inevitably become like him. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Bible says that our hearts are the driving center of our lives and our hearts will drive us and push us toward whatever we treasure. So if you want to become more like Jesus, make Jesus your treasure. Get to know him more, enjoy him more, treasure him, behold him, and your heart will go in that direction. And this really clarifies something from last week when it comes to change and transformation. Because I emphasize so much that change is God's work, and that's absolutely true. We talked about how God works in our desires, our will, even in our actions. And that may have left you wondering, well, how does this change work? Like, do I feel like I'm robotically being pushed around or, or something like that? Well, just like that verse said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Holy Spirit works to help us treasure Jesus. If you could imagine if you lived in the Louvre Museum in Paris, where that houses the famous painting, The Mona Lisa, and you live there in the room that houses The Mona Lisa all of your life, unable to escape, except it's pitch black. You can't actually see The Mona Lisa. People can tell you about it and how glorious it is, but you cannot see it. Now, the way the Holy Spirit works is not to come up to you and start sort of ear bashing you and just telling you, you're gonna, why don't you enjoy this painting? And sort of take you by the scruff of your neck and try to get you to a bit closer to it. The way the Holy Spirit works is just by turning the lights on in the room. And all of a sudden you see this glorious, beautiful thing that was there all along and you're able to see it and you just begin to treasure and enjoy it. That's a bit like how God works in us. He just makes us more human, not less human. He opens our heart's eyes to behold Jesus in the gospel. And this is why one of our values as a church is to be gospel-focused. It's really important to belong to a church that understands this. Don't listen to preaching or be part of a Christian community that makes secondary things the main thing, whether it be politics or social justice or even doctrinal accuracy or even biblical topics like the end times. If they're more prominent and more focused than Jesus in the gospel, then they're missing out on the transformation that Jesus wants to bring through the gospel. If they aren't preaching Christ and beholding Christ and treasuring the gospel, they're missing out on the Spirit's primary tool for powerful transformation. John Piper puts it this way. He says, If Christ is not preached and his glory is not exalted, the Holy Spirit does not open our eyes, for there is no glorious Christ displayed for us to see. The Holy Spirit does not do his work apart from the gospel because his work is to open our eyes to see Christ displayed in the gospel. And until the gospel is preached, Christ is not there to see. We become like what we behold. So we must regularly behold Jesus' beauty in the good news of the gospel. Devote 
the rest of your life to beholding the glory of the gospel and the beauty of Jesus. Now, let me just show you how this changes us with a real-life example. I want to tell you a story about a lady called Emma Polocka. And she wrote this in a blog online. She said, I put my trust in Jesus to save me back in 2003. Despite this, I had a lot of lust, emotional chaos, pride, and fear that was so rooted in me, and I hid it all. But I thought I could balance my dark thought life with a super bright outward life. So I formed a resume to prove it. I was a top student, involved in Christian clubs and sports, the whole lot. I did have a genuine relationship with God, but there were areas of my mind that I thought he couldn't handle. So instead of giving them to him, I walked around with a burden of guilt and a masking smile. When I put my trust in Jesus years ago, I knew I had received that gift, but later on, I heard more about this grace that completely changed my understanding. For the first time, I genuinely understood that at the cross where Jesus died for my sin, Everything that's wrong with us was put on Jesus, and Jesus' perfection was put on us. I learned that his grace can handle all of me. And each day, God continues to shape my heart as I experience and understand more deeply his approval and unchanging love for me in Christ. The truth of God's love displaces the lies in my mind, and now I can really say I am free in Christ, and I can really smile too. It's a beautiful story. But do you see what happened to Emma? She heard the gospel again. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit opened her heart to understand it, to behold the glory of God in the gospel, to behold what Jesus had done for her. And it just helped her to shed the sin that was in her life. It helped her to come out into the open and to share with other believers. It helped her to change as she beheld the glory of God in the gospel. So do you want to change? Well, practice the discipline of beholding. The second discipline we're going to look at is breathing. In 2020, James Nestor wrote an essay for the Wall Street Journal called The Healing Power of Proper Breathing, How We Inhale and Exhale Has Profound Effects on Our Health. Now, James Nestor is referring to physical breathing for physical health. But I'm using breathing as a metaphor for aiding our spiritual health. This is something Dane Ortland talks about in his book, Deeper, which I mentioned a few times last week. By breathing, I'm referring to the discipline of breathing in the Word of God in the Bible and breathing out in prayer to God. Adam has said before that if the Bible is how God speaks to us, then prayer is how we speak to God. Breathe. Inhale God's word in the Bible. Exhale in prayer back to him. These disciplines should be as basic as breathing to us. They're a normal part of the Christian life. And yet some of us don't feel too excited when it comes to reading the Bible. It's that big heavy book sitting on the edge of a shelf somewhere collecting dust. It's hard to get into it. It's hard to know where to start to enjoy something that is so often difficult to understand. So why bother? Well, reading the Bible is like oxygen for our souls. Forgive me for the crude example, but reading the Bible is like receiving CPR from God. God breathes into our lungs the oxygen we need for living. If we stop physically breathing, we'll die. 
We need God's word. 2 Timothy 3 says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful and it's useful for training in righteousness, which is what we're talking about today. We're talking about change. We're talking about becoming more righteous, more like Christ. The Word of God is useful for training in righteousness. And this is why Dane Ortland says, when we yawn over the Bible, that's like a severe asthmatic yawning over the free offer of a ventilator while gasping for air. Now, there can be so many reasons why we find the Bible difficult to read. So many reasons. Sometimes uh, I speak to people and they're getting into reading the Bible for the first time. They're like, well, I'm going to start at the beginning in the Old Testament because I'm going to do it right. I'm going to start at the beginning and read to the end and then they start to get into some of the difficult books and they, they, they quit. One of the, that's something that I've noticed people doing a lot and it's just a bit more difficult to understand the Old Testament right from the beginning. If you're just starting out reading the Bible, let me encourage you just to start in the New Testament. Just spend some time in the New Testament, just a little bit easier to understand, and then read the whole Bible. Sometimes it's because we approach the Bible the wrong way. Uh, We think it's a book of knowledge merely for us just to gain some insights for our next conversation. Or maybe we're reading it as a book of examples of people to emulate, and we're left feeling despairing because we see the sin in our own lives. There are many wrong ways that we come and read the Bible. But let me encourage you that to read the Bible in a relational way. And I believe this can take the boring out of this process. Come to the Bible in a relational way. Come to the Bible knowing that this is God's word for you. This is God's word to you. To come to read it, to understand, yes, it's, if you, you know, do the work you can to understand its original meaning and its ancient context, but see it as God's word for you today, speaking to you. Enjoy it. Ask questions like, what is this teaching me about who you are, Father? Speak to him about what you're reading. Speak to him about what's confusing. Breathe it all back to him in prayer. Make it a relational thing. This is one of the reasons why it's helpful to pair Bible reading with prayer under the idea of breathing. Because reading the Bible is a relational thing. Dane Ortland uh, says it really well. He says, to connect prayer with Scripture reading is simply to acknowledge that God is a real person with whom believers have an actual moment-by-moment relationship. The Bible is God speaking to us. Prayer is our speaking to Him. If we do not pray, we do not believe God is an actual person. We may say we do, but we don't really. If we do not pray, we actually think He is an impersonal force of some kind, distant and removed, powerful but abstract. We don't view Him as a father. Read the Bible relationally. The Holy Spirit speaks with us as we read Scripture, and we get to engage in a conversation with God. Change is your work. We change through beholding, through breathing, and one of the other disciplines God has given us to pursue change is battling. Battling. In times past, Christians have called this discipline mortification, which just means to put something to death. And the idea is to put sin to death in our lives. We battle to kill sinful attitudes, habits, and behaviors in our lives. Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. Speaking about our sinful nature there. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit 
you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. God wants us to do battle by putting to death the misdeeds of the body. This discipline of battling actually gives us direction in our quest for change. If, if you're not sure how to change or where to start, ask God to show you where the most prominent sin is in your life. You're probably, like me, you're probably already painfully aware of what that is. Is, is your sin a persistent disbelief that causes you to doubt God's love for you? A refusal to accept God at his word? Is your sin a temper that flares when things don't go your way? Is your sin a habitual loathing for the body which God has designed and gifted to you? Where is the spirit highlighting sin in your life? And then focus on putting that sin to death. Create an attack plan. Put it to death by beholding. Let the promises of Jesus become greater in your life than the promise that sin is giving you. The only reason that we sin is because we believe it, it does have some pleasure to it. The Bible talks about that. And we believe, we trust it more by faith than we trust in God's promises by faith. Put it to death by memorizing scriptures that relate to it and wield that sword against the lies of sin. In Ephesians 6, it says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Put it to death by bringing it into the light and confessing it to a trusted Christian. 1 John 1 verse 7 says, if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We change by battling sin. John Owen, a Christian of a couple hundred years ago or so, famously said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Imagine sin is represented by the inland taipan, also known as the fierce snake. Now, the snake, this snake has the deadliest venom in the world. One bite could kill 100 adults in this room. Now, if your family went home today and you found an inland taipan in the cupboard in the kitchen when you opened it up, do you think you're going to call your kids over to come and Instagram it or to try and catch it and keep it as a pet? No, you're going to grab a shovel and... There's kids in the room, so you're going to... You're going to deal with that thing very decisively, aren't you? You're not going to mess around with it. And this is the same with sin in our lives. Sin is as deadly to our souls as the inland taipan is to our bodies. And yet we're so often just playing around with it or blasé about it or just thinking, oh, it's not that big a deal. But God calls us to put to death the misdeeds of the body by the power of the Holy Spirit, to do battle this is another spiritual discipline that helps us to change. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Make a plan, pray, strategize, get help, confess it, do battle and put sin to death in your life. Change is your work. God has given us many tools for change and transformation. But let me commend to you beholding, breathing and battling. And know this, when you get to work, God is at work in you. God is at work in you. Remember that God has given you his Holy Spirit. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. You have the power to change by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask for his help and get to work. Know that the only type of sin that we fight now is forgiven sin. That's the only type of sin that we fight. It's forgiven sin because Jesus already paid for all of it, past, present, future, at the cross. 
You are not laboring to justify yourself. You're laboring because you love Jesus. You're grateful to him and you want to become more like him. Know that the Bible teaches in in the book of Hebrews and in other places that Jesus even now is in heaven and he is praying for you. He's praying for his people. He's praying for your change and transformation. He is in your corner. Change is your work and we can get to work because we have the spirit, because our sin is forgiven, because Jesus is for us, praying for us even now. So let's pursue the transformation that God calls us to through all the means that he has given us, including beholding, breathing, and battling. Let's pray together. Jesus, where would we be without you? We are just so grateful for you and for what you did for us, what you went through for us and the way that you continue to work for our good, even interceding for us and praying for us now. Jesus, we give ourselves to you this morning. And we just pray for the miraculous work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Open up the eyes of our hearts to behold your glory, your goodness, your power, your gentleness. Help us to see and savor who you are, to treasure you, Jesus. Lord, work in us an inner change that leads to a lifetime of renewal. Make us into the human beings. Restore us to the dignity of our role as image bearers of God by your power, Jesus. And Lord, we just give you our yes. Help us to devote ourselves to working hard. Help us not to fear bringing our sin into the light and putting it to death because no one can condemn us now that you have not condemned us. So we thank you for all the resources you've given us in this battle. And we give you all the glory knowing that you are the cause. You are the one who started this work. And we want to continue it knowing that you are continuing to work in us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.